Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to those of you watching by live stream. I, one of my favorite things is to see people interact with each other, and so seeing you guys interact with each other here on a Sunday morning, seeing you guys watching interact with each other on Facebook, it's, just, it's a super cool thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into this. Last weekend, I think it was, my wife and I decided to rearrange some rooms in the house. And, uh, you know, a TV room, toy room for the kids, that kind of stuff. And as I was moving stuff out, I came across these things. And to be honest, I, I don't know that I've ever actually looked at many of them. <laughs> but these are instruction manuals. And it got me thinking about how we view the Bible. Because I have to say my piece on how the Bible's viewed. At, you know, four weeks of listening to other people. And I, it's a lot of information. I just want to try to maybe summarize it for us, you know. So as I'm, I'm looking through this stuff and I'm, I'm realizing that sometimes we read the Bible like it's an instruction manual. Tell me what to do. How am I supposed to do this? This is my son's uh, Lego Ninjago instruction thing. And he, he's like, for real. Like, he, he puts these things together and page by page. And I'm like, but I think this one goes there. And he's like, that's not what the directions say, Dad. <laughs> All right. I'm thankful for his influence in my life. <laughs> this is uh, our health care uh, packet for our kids. This is thick. I, I've never read it. <laughs> this is my daughter's scooter that we got her. I can't remember whether it was for her birthday or whatever, but you could see by the fold that I never actually looked at it to put the scooter together. But the scooter is together. This, uh, and ladies, can I get a good amen? This is my wife's Target red card. <laughs> this is thick as well. I'm sure she's read every part. And part of it's in Spanish. I'm pretty sure she learned Spanish so that she could read the Spanish parts of it. Love you. <laughs> and then this, this is a, a I don't, Whoever snuck this into my house, this is like an Android device thing, and I don't, I don't mess with that. So if you did this, please see me in the guest room afterwards. I'm just kidding. My daughter has one. It's weird. <laughs> but they're, they're instruction manuals, and you know, sometimes we read them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes they're thick. And you're like, ah, it'll all work out in the end, you know? And sometimes I think that's how we approach the Bible. This thing's thick. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. There's parts of it that I don't understand. Page 56, subsection C, line 4. And that's sometimes how it comes off to us. And yet, that's, what we, that's how we try to read this thing. We try to read this Bible as, tell me what to do. Tell me how to survive and thrive in this life. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm saying is, primarily, you and I need to read it a different way. 
We need to read it not as an instruction book. We need to read it as a biography. It's been a while since I've been up here, but I've said it in the past before. The Bible isn't just a book about who God is and who God's not, or a book about do's and don'ts. It's a book about who God is and who he's not. And if we read it through the lens of God, like if the first questions we ask about the Bible is, what does this say about God? Do you know what begins to happen? We begin to see the world through his lens. And that's the goal. Not just, how can this benefit me? And there is that in there, of course. You know, it tells you how to live. It tells us how to be. It tells us how to see the world. But it's a book. It's a biography. There's one character that's on the first page and the last, and his name's God. It's not man. It's not you. It's not me. It's God. And so I just want to challenge you guys as you're reading the Bible to not just read it as instructions, but to read it as a biography. Learn about who you worship. And if it's a biography, then I'd venture to say that if you and I skip over parts, if you and I decide to ignore certain parts of it, then we ignore part of who God is. If, if we're overwhelmed by parts of it and we go, you know, this part really clashes with our society today. This part really, it, you know, it, it insults my sensibilities. Then we miss part of the identity of God. And how can you and I worship what we don't know? How can you and I love something that we purposefully ignore parts of it? You know, if you got a spouse in the room and, and you purposefully ignore a part of who they are, are you really, do you really know them? Are you really loving them by doing that? No. Friends, if you've got a friend in the room and you ignore that, do you know them? Do you love them when you ignore part of their identity? And for us to read the Old Testament... I, I know it's intimidating. I do. I know it is. And then the New Testament is, it, it's the ideal. You know what I mean? It's the love and, and fellowship with each other. And you're like, yeah, this is all right. The Old Testament, see, I, I recognize the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament's like, old girl slept with the dude and then put a tent peg through his temple? I... I there it is. There's the world I know. <laughs> you know. I think I saw that on CNN last week. But the, the Old Testament sets the tone for what's needed in the New Testament. And if we ignore that, you know, I'm going to venture to say that it's, it's not possible to fully understand something without understanding its foundations, without understanding its reasonings. And if we, if we ignore... If we ignore the foundations, if we ignore the reasoning, then can you really understand the thing itself? I, I, don't, I don't think so. So I'm, I'm going to do kind of a brief overview of these books of the law here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the books of the law. There's 613 different laws found throughout these books. 
That's a lot, right? <laughs> and, and some of those are repeated, so this is kind of the condensed whatever. But as I'm looking, you know, and there's everything from how to live to grooming to what to eat to, and I think some of us would understand that there's some weird junk in there to us today, <laughs> you know? And I was talking with a friend recently, and it's, it's funny to me because I think whenever somebody tries to discount the Bible, their go-tos are really found in these first five books. Creation, God created, come on, man. There was a flood, <laughs> all right. Parting of a sea, <laughs> all right, Ace, thanks. <laughs> Laws about your beard, yeah, but your hair can only be so long. You can't eat shellfish. Don't boil a goat in its baby's mother's milk. That's weird, you know? That's kind of the go-to that people use to discount the Bible. And so you have to ask the question, why is this even in our Bible that we have today? Why, why do I see all of this stuff that... Some of it is like, yeah, 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 amen. And I'm, please don't think I'm, yeah, I'm going to go here. <laughs> All of this stuff with, the, uh, with refugees and foreigners and stuff, and I kept seeing people quote Leviticus 19. Fantastic, okay. But you can't quote what's in Leviticus 19 for one instance, and ignore what's in it the rest of the time. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. You can't do that. And so what I want us to get away from is, is taking these isolated parts of the Bible that fit what you and I want to believe and looking at the whole. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So why? Reason number one, the law points to the heart of God. So Israel just gets freed, okay? So they're, like, they're, they're, in sla they're slaved in Egypt, and it's, you know, this miraculous freeing, and they travel across, and Pharaoh's like, uh-uh, no, it ain't rolling like that. So he goes after them, and God parts a sea. Like, you know, I know that's like the kids thing that we think about, but God, like, parted a sea. Come, like... Is that normal to y'all? I don't know. <laughs> and they walked on dry land, so it wasn't like it was like squishing and whatever. It was dry land that they walked across. You know, like Pharaoh's army gets like destroyed, and so these people are on a high, man. Like it's like, God, yes, yes, we're free, and this is amazing. And they come to this place. This is Mount Sinai, where they get the Ten Commandments. And, I mean, you can't see it in this picture, but, you know, back then, God, like, was there. And there was, like, clouds and thunder and lightning, and people were like, the presence of God is on this mountain. And, oh, my gosh. And, and Moses is like, no, 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 no. Like, they're, like, trying to run up the mountain. This is in Exodus 19. And, and Moses is like, no, if you go up there, you're going to die. Like, you can't look upon God, and then Mo God says to Moses, don't let them do this, because they're going to die. But people are like, yeah, and it just, it reminded me of like a concert scene, where people are like, God, 
And look at that poor security guy. That's a security guy right there, you know? And he's just being enveloped in these people. And it was like, God's like, no, stay behind the guardrail. <laughs> you know? Don't, don't. So Moses goes up there and he gets the Ten Commandments and he kind of gets them in this like shock and awe kind of way. There's earthquakes and thunder and lightning. And, and the people, they perceive all of this. The thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. That's not normal for a mountain, you know. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. They backed up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, boy. Whereas, however long ago, it was like, God, I got to get to him. And now it's like, uh, let's go be over here. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let, God, but not, let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, here it is, so that you may not sin. You ever had a job where you were given no expectations and then you were yelled at because you didn't meet the expectations? That would be terrible. What, are you, what, am, what am I supposed to do? Eh. How come this isn't done? <laughs> what? I, I don't know. Well, what a terrible thing. And so here's God saying, here is stuff that I do not want you to do. Here is stuff that I want you to do. Why? Because it portrays his heart for them. Because it shows them, it shows them, I do not want you to do these things. If you have kids and you say to your kids, don't touch the stove when the fire's lit. You know, don't, don't do that. The temptation for every kid, and all of you were kids out here, is to, go, is to focus on the rule. I can't do that. I, well, I can touch a fire if I want to. You know, like, it, that's... But what we miss when we look at the instruction instead of the biography is what the instruction communicates about the instructor. I care about you. Thou shalt not kill. I can't murder anymore. Dang, man. Just... But what does that say about God? I value life. Those of you who are not the author of life have no reason taking it. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. I value marriage. Don't cheat on your spouse. Honor the covenant that you made. Like the, these are things that communicate the heart of God. And when we're so busy focused on, can't do this, we miss what God is trying to say. He sees the big picture. You and I don't. You don't. I don't. I know what's best for my life. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. Because I'm finite. And God is infinite. And so it communicates the heart of God for people. 
Ezekiel chapter 33, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? The heart of God for people shown right there with given the law. Look, I, and I, I understand how tempting it is for us as believers to focus on the morality of society. But the reality is, is that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. I'm going to say something here. It may or may not get me in trouble. Sorry, Pastor Jim. He's nervous now. I can feel his heartbeat from here. <laughs> Osama bin Laden was taken out. People were dancing in the streets. I don't think God was. Because if he died apart from him, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You can argue the morality, absolutely. Actually, there's no real argument. <laughs> but don't think for a second that God took pleasure in that. God does not take pleasure in the eternal separation of anybody from him. And that's why the law was given, so that you would not do this. The heart of God for you is a lack of separation from him. And that's why this stuff is given. That's why expectations are given, so that he could communicate to you his heart. Man. Reason two. The law points to the state of humanity. It ain't great. I'm going to give you kind of a, a brief overview of the Old Testament. So that it might be a, no, you can see that. So it starts, you know, man is created. That's cool. Man falls, not so great. Israel's formed, Israel's enslaved, Israel's freed. That's more emotional up and down than I just gave it credit for, but. <laughs> the law is given, that's what we saw on Mount Sinai. Then they, they failed at the law. And then you see the asterisk, they repeat the previous two about 100 more times. And then the prophets reveal the heart of God. Like that's basically the Old Testament. And so, like all 613 of these laws weren't given at once. Like it wasn't like God was like, Moses, sit down. One. <laughs> That's not the way that that went. What happened was some were given and then Israel failed. And then God was like, okay, here are these. Like here's, here's more to help. And then Israel failed. Okay. Here are these, and then Israel failed. Oh, <laughs> all right. Here are the, and then Israel failed. And so that he just kept giving over and over and over again. Why? Because this ain't right in us. Our hearts are not right. Romans chapter three. What then? Are we better than they? talking about Gentiles, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everybody's under sin. As it is written, this is where it gets real, this, there is none righteous, not even one. 
There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. And let me say, like, this isn't like special reserve for hell people. This is anybody apart from Christ. It's anybody. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. I don't know, that's crazy. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, listen to this, by the works of the law, by following the law, no flesh will be justified. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Following the law, much to the Pharisees' dismay, did not justify them. It showed who they are. The law shows us the condition of our hearts because we cannot follow it. And the problem isn't with a law. A perfect God gave a perfect law. So where's the issue? You, me. There's the issue, because our hearts, an imperfect heart, cannot follow a perfect law, and you're like, that's like a catch-22. Like, how am I supposed to, when I can't, ah, that's, that's a good question. That's a good, good question. But the reality is that many get caught up in what the law says while missing what the law communicates I, you, we are sinful. We cannot do this. We cannot follow the expectations of a perfect God with the current heart that we have. It is not possible. Reason three, the law points to the solution for the state of humanity. Because you, you can't, listen, as a leader, one of the greatest things you can do is bring a solution to whatever problem you're going to bring to me. Because people love bringing problems. I'm sorry. The uh, lights, the sound, uh, the, the Bible, the whatever. People love bringing problems to leaders but they don't bring solutions to those problems. And so it would be cruel if God said, here's a law, here is a, a perfect set of expectations. Oh, by the way, the condition of your heart is that you, you can't possibly fulfill these. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. And so what the law also does is it points to the solution, Jesus. The Old Testament constantly points to the need for a savior because you can't do it. 
You cannot do it. And what we've done in our society today is instead of trying to do it, I just create it for myself. And I'm led by my feelings and my expectations. And I become a little God. And whenever I become a little God, I always collide with the God. And it just, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so instead, what God has done for us is use the Old Testament, use the law to point to our need for another way to fulfill that law. Hebrews chapter 10, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. All it did was push it to the side, push it back, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. I'm a terrible person. Yes, you are. Sacrifice, sacrifice. You know, that's all that this stuff did was Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, do you understand the concept of that? Never needing to do it again. But if you and I ignore the Old Testament, we don't see the importance of that. The importance of what these people had to do for thousands of years to appease God, to wipe away their sins, the sacrifices over and over and over and over again. And here was this one moment in time where Jesus lives and dies and rises again so that you and I, for one time, one time, is paid for. It's finished, baby. It's finished. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is also no longer any offering for sin. After those days, please listen to this, says the Lord, I will put my law upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write them. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. I wrote my law down on tablets, and you could not do it. Now I'm going to write it on your heart. Now I'm going to write it on your heart. Listen, mankind is sinful and separate from God, but valuable enough to God that he paid an extremely costly price for you and for me. To the believer sitting in this room, you're, you're paid in full, and God loves you. And if you're in this room and you're not a believer, and you're like, what the heck are you talking about, bro? Like, 
you are so valued by God that he sent his son to die once for all. Not so that you and I could create our own morality by what we feel, but so that the creator of morality and the author of life, you would be in right relationship with him. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Stand to your feet. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus, Matthew chapter 22, he's getting tested. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, like I, it, people would just travel where Jesus went trying to disprove him and discredit him. Do you know how frustrating that had to be? Like everywhere he went, it's like, I'm about to preach the word of God. Yeah, but teacher, oh my gosh, you guys again. <laughs> <laughs> so he stumps one sect here comes the other they gather together one of them a lawyer it's like a little huddle how, how can we get them how can we trap them and oh my gosh I, the law the law so a lawyer asked him a question testing him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 613 commands. Which one's the greatest, Jesus? Which one's the greatest out of all of these? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second, which nobody asked for, <laughs> you know, Jesus, which is the greatest two command? Nope, nope. So it's like, I'm going to give you this one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me, let me share this with you. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Do you hear that? Jesus just took the entire Old Testament and condensed it into two phrases. There are volumes of books on the Old Testament, and Jesus just broke it down into two phrases. Looks familiar, right? And this is by no means a commercial for the vision of the Freedom Center. But what it does say is that the vision of this church is what Jesus communicated is the reason for the law, the reason for the entire Old Testament, the, the scripture that they knew. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And those two things cannot be separated. Listen. You cannot properly love people without loving God. It is not possible. And the reverse is also true. And I'm introvert, extrovert, I do not care what you are. If you do not like people, you do not love God properly. 
I know it's like a joke, you know, I just can't people today. And all that, like I get it. But if you're a believer in this room and you don't love people, you don't love God properly. It's not possible. You cannot separate those two. Jesus hopelessly intertwined them together when he said that the 613 laws, the entire scripture that you know, Israel, love God, love people. That's the goal. He condenses it all into that. Love God, love people. Yeah, but you don't understand. They love God, love people. Yeah, but why did God allow... Love God, love people. But I just don't understand the whole baby's goat in the... Oh, love God, love people. I'm not saying that questions are bad. Questions are great. God loves every question. You look all throughout Scripture, God loves every question except when you question his identity. He does not like that. I'm just, read Job. It's like question, 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 and then it's like, who is God anyway? And God like comes down and is like, who questions me that has no knowledge? And Job's like, <laughs> it is my friends over here because they... They had said, <laughs> you know, like it's like a child in trouble. <laughs> and then for like five chapters, God goes on about his identity. He doesn't like that. Questions, sure. Seek your questions. But at the end of the day, love God. Love people. Love God enough that that love flows into people. Love people enough that you have to love God because you can't love each other without that. You can't. Altar workers, you can come forward. Am I supposed to close this out? I don't yeah. ever talk. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Listen, if you're a believer in this room and you're like, ah, I'm overwhelmed by reading this stuff, like I don't understand it, read it differently then. Stop reading it with yourself as the focal point. You are not the focal point of the Bible. God is. You are a point. I am a point. But you are not the focal point. And the great thing about that is when you read it to learn about God, you see the world through God-colored lenses. And that helps you. Love God and love people. And believer, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm struggling with any of those right now, come to these people for prayer. Shoot, you, you know some of the best people in the world that are right next to you. Turn and ask them to pray for you. Sorry, I don't mean to take y'all thunder away. And if you're not a believer in this room, there's some wonderful, knowledgeable people right here and right next to you that understand the heart of God for you, that can, can lead you into how to love God and love people. Don't be overwhelmed by Scripture, whether it's Genesis, Exodus, Obadiah, Habakkuk, or Revelation. 
Ooh, uh. No. It shows the heart of God. It shows the identity of God. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so good. It's so you. And I pray that we would read it that way, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed or confused or whatever. You know, I just... It's who you are. You gave us a book to tell us about who you are. What a gift. What a gift. We would beg for an instruction manual on our spouse sometimes, you know. I just... You gave us a book about your identity. I pray that we'd read it that way, that we wouldn't get overwhelmed by things that we don't understand, but that we'd seek understanding in your word, that we'd seek it from the people around us, God. Yeah, thanks for your word. Thanks for these wonderful people. Yeah, it's in your name. Amen. You need, oh, thanks. You need prayer, come to the front. Um, Pastor Jim and some staff and whatnot will be in the guest room back there. Love each other this week. You know what I'm saying? Love God this week. Read the Bible. All that good stuff. Have a great Sunday, everyone.